you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Jonah, the fourth chapter. This evening we'll be looking at the last chapter of Jonah, concluding our our study in this Old Testament prophet. Jonah has 11 verses in chapter 4, and I'm going to begin, however, in chapter 3 at verse 10. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is inerrant. It is sufficient, and it is authoritative. Jonah, beginning at chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what became of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would teach us through your prophet Jonah that you would encourage us to be fervent ambassadors for your gospel of grace. We ask that you would give us your eyes, O Lord, that we might see those who are around us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've come now to the end the book of Jonah. And our friend Jonah has been through an awful lot, hasn't he? 
He has been given a mission that he rejected. He's been on a ship that has been nearly shipwrecked. He's been thrown into the sea and swallowed up by a great fish. There he has found mercy and grace. And then he has been cast out on the shores of Nineveh and given a nearly impossible task that right before his very eyes succeeds more spectacularly than any of us could have imagined. This is very good, isn't it? This is exciting. This is the kind of story that you tell when you want people to get excited and dig down deep and give for missions, right? This is also the kind of story that you give when you tell people anything is possible with God and you try and encourage people to go out to work for missions. But there's a problem here, isn't there? The problem is, is that even though we think this may be good, Jonah doesn't seem to. There's something else that is going on here. And what I think we are seeing here this evening is a parable of missions, of why we do and have missions. You see, it is important to bring the gospel to others out there. But this evening, I think Jonah challenges us that missions is not just about helping some people out there that we don't know. Missions is about God's work on our hearts right here. This mission to Nineveh is as much about Jonah as it is about the Ninevites. And we see this in the way that God deals with Jonah. We see it in in four brief ways. First, we see Jonah come upon the scene and he is an angry prophet. Then we see that he is not only angry, but he is a bitter prophet. But God does not leave him there. We see how God works on us through Jonah. And then we see how God works through us in spite of Jonah. An angry prophet, a bitter prophet, the God who works on us and the God who works through us. Well, let's begin then by looking at the angry prophet. It it comes right out of the blocks, doesn't it? In verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And the language here is very vivid. He was very displeased. It was evil to Jonah, is actually the literal Hebrew. What God had done seemed evil. This calamity that had been taken away, this evil, this destruction, had been taken away from Nineveh, And Jonah viewed it as a calamity, as a destruction, as evil. And he was very angry. The Hebrew actually says, and being angered with anger. Very vivid. What is Jonah so angry about? Well, he's angry at what God has done. He's angry first where God has done it, that he has done it among the Gentiles. Do you see this in verse 2? He says, Is this not what I said when I was back in my country? Lord, why are you doing this? And he actually cites back to the Lord a passage. He says, I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love 
and relenting from disaster. And you see, this is a passage that comes from the book of Exodus. Exodus 34, where God is described. And Jonah says, I know this is who you are, but it's supposed to only be for us, God. It's not supposed to be for these other rotten people. And if we're honest, we feel like that at times, don't we? We hear a prayer request for an Iranian pastor. And it bubbles up in our hearts. Why does God not wipe that nation off the face of the earth? Those wicked, deceived worshipers of the devil. There is no religion on earth as bad as Islam. Why doesn't he just simply destroy them and protect the Christians? Why doesn't he protect us? And it doesn't first bubble in our hearts to say, I wonder if the Lord would use this for a revival in Iran, for the church to take root, for darkness to be spread away, for people to know the love of God and to love each other, and for that place to be changed. You see, because our first instinct is to think of ourselves. It's what our Lord saw in the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, isn't it? We saw that in Matthew 20. The the vineyard owner brings in workers and they work. And a few hours later, he brings in a few more. And a few hours later, he brings in more. And what's the reaction of the ones who have been there all day? Why in the world are you giving anything to the people that came late? Don't you know we should get it? And you see then, the owner says, isn't it up to me to be generous? You see, Jonah's the same way with people's souls. He wants to control what God can give to others by way of mercy. And he's not only angry about who is given the mercy, he's angry about God's mercy itself. He is the definition of a reluctant missionary. I mean, it took being swallowed by a fish to get him on the mission field. And we see this, it's the reason I began with verse 10. You see this wonderful revival, the greatest revival in the history of the world, And God sees it, and he relents, and he is pleased. And Jonah sees it, and he's angry. As pleased as God is, that's how angry Jonah is. Jonah wanted that mission to fail. He wanted to walk and say, 40 days, and Nineveh is overthrown. And he wanted to look on his watch, and on the 40th day, at the very first minute, say, bring it down, God. Destroy them all. He wanted his mission to fail. Because you see, what Jonah had is something that's in my heart and is in yours. And we need to be aware of it. Jonah had two categories of sinners in his heart. You see, he realized that he was a sinner in need of God's mercy. He saw that and expressed it in the fish. He knew that Israel needed God's mercy when he had brought God's word to the king of Israel before the events of this book. But you see, there's a sense in which, for Jonah, the whole world breaks down to me and everybody else. Or me and the people like me and everybody else. Everybody else doesn't deserve real grace. We are sinners who need God's grace, but we're different from those other really bad, wicked people out there. God doesn't have to work as hard with us. And so what happens is, The focus is merely on Jonah 
and what he needs. Are you like Jonah in this? Do you have joy overseeing salvation? You know, the kind of joy that comes when you hear about someone in prison who has murdered a dozen people comes to know the Lord and profess his faith. Does it cross your mind to say, now that guy doesn't get to go to hell. Oh, he got off scot-free. Oh, he should get what's got coming to him. He's a horrible, wicked man. This is the way that Christians reacted to conversions of the Nazis in Nuremberg. Or are you one who takes great joy in seeing the Lord work in ways that you never would have expected to see it work? This is the way God would have us look at salvation. You remember the parable of the lost sheep where Jesus says, I will go out and seek the one. And there is greater joy in heaven over a sinner who has repented than over 99 righteous men. The parable of the lost coin where we are told, to turn over every rock, sweep every corner, that we might find what was lost. But you see, for Jonah, he's angry and miserable. And it's partly because he wants to be in charge. If you can believe it, Jonah's accusation here is that God is soft on sin. He thinks God is not doing what he should. And Jonah knows who God is. You see him express that. He says, God, I know you're gracious. I know you're merciful. And the unspoken second line is, and that's what's wrong with you, God. Get your act together. Be a bit more judgmental. You don't need to show them grace. Jonah thinks he is wiser than God. And so essentially what he says is, God, if you want to convert the Ninevites and save them, you'll have to do it over my dead body. I'd rather be dead than alive. This is not your prototypical missionary, is it? He's an angry man, but he's also a bitter man. He's a bitter man who wants to limit God and limit the grace that God gives to others. He believes in grace because he's experienced it. He has preached it but he wants to limit its extent. And so God asks him this question. Do you do well to be angry? And we see the bitterness that has gotten a hold of Jonah's heart. Because what does Jonah do in verse 5? Does Jonah answer God? No. Jonah does what happens in some of your homes and mine. When someone gets very upset and they know they don't have a good argument, what do they do? They storm off. They go to their room and they slam the door and they stew. Maybe you've done it. I know I have. When you don't want to confront what's wrong. And you see, that's what Jonah's doing to God. The only problem is you can't get away from God. But Jonah is so angry and so bitter with God. That he flees and he goes out and look at what we are told. He sits in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Can you picture Jonah? He's gone and he's got a good place where he can watch what's going on. He sets himself up and he looks with a scowl on his face. And he's saying to himself, 
Well, maybe. Maybe God will relent again and really give it to him. Wipe him out. He's waiting to see the destruction of Nineveh. That's how bitter he's become. How do we become this bitter? We become this bitter when we forget about forgiveness. You see, forgiveness prevents bitterness of the soul. A lack of forgiveness is actually a kind of poison that gets in our souls. That kind of hatred pushes out love and contentment. We see this all the time, don't we? We have bad experiences with others. We have a bad experience with a doctor. And then we hate all doctors and don't ever want to go see one. We are abused or mistreated by a lawyer. And then we think all lawyers are crooks. We have a bad experience with a spouse and we think, oh, you know, all men are like that. All women are like that. We write people off because there's a bitterness that takes root in our heart. It happens in the church too, doesn't it? Oh, I know what churches are like. They're all like this. This is a bitterness that comes from a lack of forgiveness. You see, Jonah would rather die than see God be made right with other men. And what God is telling us and telling Jonah is that the only way to get past this, the only way to experience calmness of heart and forgiveness of ourselves is to be willing to forgive others. That's why it's over and over in the scripture. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that we are to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And then in Matthew 6, we're told, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There's the famous parable of the debtor in Matthew 18, about the one who was forgiven little, or who was forgiven much and would not forgive little. And we wonder about this. And forgiveness is not a contractual thing. It is not a box that needs to be checked in order for God to forgive us. It is not a requirement. It is a state of our soul. We cannot be right with God and believe in Him and cherish bitterness in our soul. This is hard. Because it's hard to give up that bitterness, isn't it? Especially if we have been wronged. You need to especially be forgiving when you have been wronged. That's the whole reason to forgive someone when they've done wrong. If someone has done justly to you, there's no need to forgive them. You thank them for pointing it out. And This is a real challenge, but do you want your life to be like Jonah's? Where you're miserable, angry, bitter, where you're actually hoping for bad things to happen. Because somehow, maybe misery will love company. This is something that we need to think about. But praise be to the Lord, it is not all up to us. We are not the only ones who need to think about forgiveness and who need to muster it up on our own because God is at work in us and on us. And you see this here at verse 2. There's a small detail that's different from the last time God had given Jonah a job. You remember what Jonah did? He was given the task and he ran as far as he could away. What does he do here in verse 2? 
He's angry, but he prays. Do you see that? What a difference, even in angry Jonah, to go from fleeing to praying. God uses that. Now, Jonah still has a lot of issues here. But at least he has gotten to the point where the grace of God has brought him that he realizes that he is in a bad spot. He is angry with great anger. He has been muttering to himself all this time. We haven't heard him say, this is what I said. He's been muttering it in his mind, saying, I knew this miserable job. I knew God would do this. I knew the wrong thing would happen. And yet, even in that bitterness... He goes to the Lord in prayer. And prayer is a solution in this and in every case. Our spiritual recovery begins with prayer because it takes the focus off of us and on to others. It focuses us on the will of God rather than our will. But God does more for Jonah than seek him in prayer. He also works on Jonah by confronting him. And he will often do that with us as well. You see, Jonah is a very self-centered person here. Throughout this whole book, what makes Jonah happy? When he's given the prime task of being the missionary to the greatest revival in the history of the world. No. When he's preaching God's word, To people who need to hear of salvation? No. When they listened to that word and responded, and he was God's instrument for revival? No. When he had a little plant. That's what made Jonah happy. You see, it's all about Jonah, and God confronts him, and he even does it in a very humorous way through this plant. This plant, the word for plant here is... It's a unique kind of word, but we have it on at least reasonable authority that one of the translations for this would be a castor oil plant that would shoot up and have broad leaves. Do you see the irony there? That God's giving Jonah a little bit of medicine, a little bit of castor oil to fix his disposition. God confronts him because God wants useful servants. And God is acting sovereignly. You see this over and over again in chapter 4. God appointed. God appointed. God appointed. God appointed. He is dealing sovereignly with Jonah. Confronting him with his sin. But he's also quite patient, isn't he? After he asks Jonah, Do you do well? Jonah storms off. God waits. He deals with Jonah. He comes to him again and he says, Now do you do well to be angry? You see, he doesn't write Jonah off like Jonah would have written others off. He's more merciful than his prophet. Now why does God do this? Why is God struggling with Jonah? Why didn't he wipe his hands of him the very first that we saw this problem and find somebody who would do the job and do it right. It's because God not only works in us and on us, He also works through us. God does this for our own good, breaking down our self-centered nature because He wants to show us 
that when we are self-centered, when we are focused on ourselves, our spiritual life shrivels. You've seen this, haven't you? These plants or these devices or these these hobby projects, when you get all of the water out of them and they, they shrivel down to almost nothing. Or you could take a big piece of beef about this big and make it about this big, a beef jerky, by just taking all the water out of it. That's what happens to us spiritually when our focus is on ourselves. Look at how Jonah is. How petty is he? There is an entire city that could perish, and he says, I want my tree. I want my plant. It's not so different from us, is it? There are nations, peoples perishing right in our neighborhoods. And we say, oh, I can't really live with basic cable. Oh, gas went up 25 cents. Oh, because we're focused on ourselves. How ignorant Jonah is of what is going on in the world, how God is at work. And God is working through Jonah for his good so that he will see God's salvation, so that he will obtain a compassion for the lost, a joy that comes from seeing the gospel go forward, and so that Jonah will grow in grace. And this is how missions applies to us. You see, we must be involved in missions so that we will not be self-centered, so that we will take joy, so that we will have compassion, so that we will grow in grace. Missions blesses us the reason we're involved in it. We get God's perspective. But ultimately, all of this, even though it is for our good, is not finally where it ends. Because you see, where it really ends is not our good, but God's glory. That's what God's getting to in that last verse. It's an it's a interesting verse. God asks this question and We really want Jonah 4.12, don't we? Is it in your Bible? How does Jonah respond? We're sort of left hanging. But you see, the reason we're left hanging here is God is making, in a sense, as much a declaration as a question. He is saying that He is the one who conquers ignorance and sin. He says, these people here are ignorant. Now, that doesn't mean they're innocent. But it means they are blinded to the truth of the gospel. It's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. There are people all around us who are in ignorance and blindness. And that doesn't make them free from judgment. It makes the judgment all the more fearful. And we are called upon to cast aside that darkness, to bring light And we do that by showing our love for our neighbors, our co-workers, others. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Jonah here shows that God is merciful, that God is powerful. This little book here, reminds us of why even today we have no option but to be involved in the declaration of the gospel 
in foreign lands and here at home. The mission is before us. We must take it up for our sake and for God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken through your prophet Jonah. We pray, O Lord, that you would remind us that you are indeed merciful, sovereign, wise. That we will not substitute our judgment for yours. Lord, we ask that you would give us a heart that burns to see the gospel go forward. We pray, O Lord, that you would not make us, that you would not allow us to remain self-centered. We pray this even as we gather tonight, O Lord, that we would bless one another and encourage one another. We thank you for this food that has been prepared, and we ask, O Lord, that you would use it to energize us, that we would bring your truth throughout this world. This we ask in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.